Hello and welcome to the Mindful Men podcast, the show helping men to open up about manhood. My name is Simon Rennie and my aim is to get men talking. From mental health to fatherhood and everything in between, Mindful Men creates a safe space for conversation. Now, before we get into this episode, I want to say a huge thank you for joining me. It means a world for you to join me and talk about men's issues. And if you love what you hear, please subscribe and share the episode with your mates. You can also join the conversation on Instagram and YouTube, and I'd love to connect with you there. But for now, sit back, relax, and let's get mindful. G'day, guys, and welcome to another episode of the Mindful Men podcast. My name is Simon Rinney, and I'm the man behind Mindful Men. Today, I've got a very special guest with me, Taylor Neuendorp from NoCD, all the way over from the United States in Chicago. Taylor, how are you going? Uh, I'm doing well. Thank you so much for having me, Simon. No worries. It's great to talk to you. This is a show about guys and and boys and men and dads and, and the broader population about opening up conversations about mental health and, and so forth. And I'm really excited about this episode because we're talking about obsessive compulsive disorder. And for, for those listening at home, um, they will know that I've lived with OCD for 30 years or so. Um, but it wasn't until 2012 when I actually got diagnosed. So it took me a long time to, to understand what was happening in my mind and, and to seek help for, for what was going on. And it wasn't just OCD, it was anxiety and depression as well. But welcome to the show. Thanks for coming on. I'd like to start by understanding a bit more about who you are and as a person and a man and a father as well. And, and so, yeah, tell us a bit about yourself. Yeah, I'd, I'd be happy to. And uh, before we even get into that, I just love the concept of your podcast in general uh, and, you know, this, the specific populations that it's, it's targeted towards. Because I think, uh, unfortunately, there continue to be so many unfair stereotypes and stigmas around mental health in general, especially for men. So I just love it that you've put this together and that, that this podcast even exists. So thank you. Thank you. Thank you. So um, I, uh, I am based out of Chicago. Uh, I've been working as a therapist in this area for, oh boy, uh, close to 17 years at this point. And for about the last 12 years, my primary specialty and focus has been helping people with OCD and anxiety disorders. Uh, I'm also a father to three boys myself, uh, all of whom have their own forms of anxiety. Uh, that we have seen kind of develop uh, over the years. Um, and uh, what kind of got me interested in working in this field in the first place was I, like many people, uh, had a history of mental illness in my own family uh, and witnessed people that I loved and cared about kind of struggling with different types of psychiatric disorders that were very hard for them to understand and hard for me to understand um, as a support person and a loved one uh, witnessing someone uh, go through that. So really, I was just curious to learn more about all the different types of mental health issues that are kind of out there and figure out ways to try and help people. And that's what got me into this field in the first place. Yeah. So how old are you, your boys? Uh, they are 12, 10 and seven. Okay. So you're a bit further along than I am. I've got a boy who's five and a girl okay. who's two. So, um, 
how long have they been experiencing anxiety and how does that feel as a father for them to, to experience anxiety? Oh, great question. Um, so my oldest, he will probably hate it that I'm talking about him openly <laughs> this way, but uh, it's important to know he has expressed different forms of anxiety and stress that we first started noticing as young as two years old. Um, and it's kind of kept the same form, same manifestation, uh, if you will, over the last decade, which is he is what um, I truly believe to be a perfectionist. Mm -hmm. um, and we started seeing this as young as two years old. If he couldn't get a coloring just the way he wanted to be, or as he was learning to write, if his letters did not look the way he thought they should, and in his eyes, it wasn't perfect, he would get extremely upset. And he could put, you know, minutes and minutes and minutes into drawing a picture or creating a story. And if one little element of it did not seem quite right to him or perfect in his eyes, he would usually destroy it, yeah. get really upset and inconsolable. And we've seen that kind of, uh, you know, kind of play out as far as how he approaches schoolwork um, and just, um, dealing with emotions in general, if that makes any sense. If he's not feeling the way he thinks he should be feeling in a given moment, then it causes further upset. Mm -hmm. um, my middle son, a lot of separation anxiety, uh, to the point where even if the entire family is home and he just has to go a few feet down the hallway to use the restroom, he feels like he needs someone to go with him. Yeah. So just even though he knows her right there, that level of separation anxiety. Um, and the third one also seems to be a bit of a perfectionist. We're seeing that <laughs> play out as well. So uh, I'm, I'm able to say that uh, uh, with a smile on my face because at the same time, they are just absolutely wonderful boys, highly intelligent, highly creative. Um, and honestly, this is what I see in so many people I've had the pleasure of working with, with OCD and anxiety. And yeah. unfortunately, they are just, uh, in many cases, born with a genetic predisposition to developing some sort of mental health issue. Um, and that kind of gets in the way of them living the life they would prefer to. Yeah. Uh, but it, it doesn't mean anything about them as a person doesn't speak anything to their character because they're all lovely people. Yeah. And has that impacted you as a father, like seeing them go through this and knowing what you know through therapy? Like, does that bring up any emotions for you? Oh, certainly. Um, I think it, it creates its own anxiety for me. Yeah. Um, as a therapist specializing in these areas, and I was working in this field specializing in those areas before I started having children, to see them start to develop some of those things that I had dedicated my career towards helping people with um, was <laughs> a little bit surreal, I guess you could say, mm -hmm. yeah. um, but has also quite frankly caused me uh, frustration over the years because I feel like out of anyone, because this is what I do for a living and I genuinely care about seeing people learn how to manage these kinds of symptoms, I get frustrated and I get upset with myself when I see that I'm trying something that is actually not helpful to them. And at the end of the day, I don't want to be their therapist. Mm, I just yeah. want to be, I just want to be their dad. And yeah. so I find myself slipping into more dad-like moments where I'm expressing that frustration 
uh, sometimes anger even. Mm -hmm. And again, it's not because of who they are as people, as children. It's because I see these symptoms interfering with how they would like things to be in their life. And that's, and that I think that would be difficult for, for any parent to witness. In a yeah. Child. I think that's, that actually resonates with me because of my history of OCD and depression, anxiety. And like my son has a bit of social anxiety as well. Like with, we're doing the drop-offs at school and, and even going down to the bathroom, like, like your son or going down to get some, something out of his bedroom while we're in the lounge room, for example. Um, sometimes as a father, I think, is this my fault because I have this in my head and, Mm, and is yeah. he starting to develop some of those things as well? And, and since I've finished my master's of social work, I'm starting to move into the mental health space as well. So should I know better as a father when I'm trying to support him through that process? But I think you've nailed it on the head there with going back into dad mode. Yeah. Um, and you get that frustration because you know kind of what he wants or, or what he's trying to achieve. But sometimes you, you just can't help them in that particular moment. So it's around adapt, adapting and, and, and going through it with them. But you can't help but get frustrated because, well, for me in particular, because I just don't want him to end up like me, <laughs> like <laughs> me with my issues. So, um, but great. Yeah, some great stories there about the impact on you as a father as well. Um, I really appreciate that. Um, yeah. So I first come across no CDs, probably about, over 12 months ago so I went through burnout in 2020 I think it was now um mm -hmm. and as part of my I took three and a half months off of work and my OCD was through the roof my anxiety was through the roof and I needed some time to recover and and this is where I, I established mindful men on Instagram um trying to share my story with the hope that it it helps me process what's going on in my mind but also supports other people and this is where I found the OCD community and before this, I'd never even knew an OCD community existed. Um, you know, OCD is not something we talk a lot in Australia about. In fact, it's kind of a joke often. You, you might be in a, in a, in a work meeting and, and people say, oh, I'm a little bit OCD because I like my report has a, a spelling error in it, for example. Or I had heard one recently about COVID and someone said, oh, the, the OCD people would like COVID because it means we're all cleaning our hands and things like that. So it's quite frustrating yeah. for someone yes. like me who's lived with it. Um, so yeah, I came across No CD through Instagram and I really enjoyed some of the comments and, and, and things like that. And I started engaging with some of that community and I found some, some real good value, but I'd love to hear about your role with No CD and, and what you do specifically and why you think No CD is a great place possibly to work or a great place to help people with OCD. Oh, certainly. I, I'm more than happy to speak about that. And I think as I describe, uh, you know, what NoCD is all about, I'll also touch on some of the things you mentioned, because unfortunately, those stereotypes around OCD are not unique to Australia. Uh, it certainly occurs in the United States, Canada, and the more we are able to reach people literally all over the world living with OCD, we're hearing very similar stories. Uh, it doesn't matter what corner of the globe uh, they're in. So one of the things that I truly love about working with NoCD is that the entire organization is truly dedicated to destigmatizing obsessive compulsive disorder. And we are on a mission to find ways to reach and hopefully help people literally all over the world living with this disorder because it continues to be misunderstood 
even in the medical community, even in the psychiatric community and the psychology community, it is uh, often overlooked as a potential diagnosis or problem for people. It's often just kind of written off as anxiety and uh, people live with it for years, never fully understanding the, the nature of the disorder itself and what they're struggling with. And it certainly sounds like that was part of your experience as well. So NoCD um, uh, actually started as an app um, and it's called NoCD for a reason that stands for the No Compulsions Disorder. Uh, the name is the, the idea of uh, our founder, Stephen Smith, uh, like you, someone who is also very open about his lived experiences with OCD, living with it for years, not fully understanding what was going on for him. It was debilitating for him as well. Um, he was a very successful student athlete at his uh, university here in the States, had to drop out of school, take time away, simply due to the severity of his obsessions and compulsions. So uh, initially he wanted to start uh, an app to create this kind of OCD community that, that you're referring to and really envisioned we could create a global community to support people anywhere around the world with OCD. And over time, um, also wanted to develop telehealth services. So having people like myself who can provide direct therapy to people, again, anywhere in the world, with OCD. And that's something we've been able to accomplish in a pretty short amount of time. So I always like to share my story about uh, when I joined the organization and just how quickly we've grown. Um, I was practicing as an OCD specialist here in Chicago. I have my own private practice. It's called Chicago Counseling Center. And in my private practice, my primary focus with those was OCD. And it's really hard to find specialty practices like that anywhere in the States or Canada or worldwide. When I came on uh, to start working as a therapist with NoCD, that was in August of 2019. And I was the fifth therapist uh, they had hired. And at that point, we were only providing services in two states here in the US, uh, Michigan and Illinois. Since August of 2019, we have now expanded to over 300 therapists. We are providing services in all 50 of the United States, all provinces across Canada, Australia, the United Kingdom, and we're just reaching more and more countries around the world. And it is, again, a very unique kind of service we provide. And we use what is known as the most evidence-based form of treatment for OCD, which is exposure and response prevention. And we have really extensive training for all of our therapists. We bring people on board who know little to nothing about OCD and how to administer ERP. And we have really, really in-depth, thorough training and ongoing supervision and guidance. So all of our therapists truly become OCD and ERP specialists in a short amount of time. And in addition to providing direct counseling services, uh, I also have the good fortune now to be a clinical director for OCD. So uh, I'm someone who's on our clinical leadership team, uh, helping develop training and education for all of our therapists and providing a lot of direct supervision to all of the therapists in our network as wow. well. Wow. I didn't realize it was in Australia. And um, in last year, I tried to find in my local area, so I'm on the Sunshine Coast in Queensland and 
I was mm-hmm. trying to find an OCD special uh, therapist or someone who specializes, and it's near impossible. Um, there's a very few in all the practices. There might be 10, 10 psychologists or counselors or even social workers who work in that space. And, and maybe only one has an interest in OCD, but it's only an interest. It's not mm-hmm. a specialty. Well, really um, quick, <laughs> I, that, that, again, that's not unique to Queensland. Yeah. It's not unique to Australia. This is how things appear to be worldwide and that's something we're trying to solve so i'm excited to look them up for the next time i'm i'm due for my next <laughs> lot of erp um and i did I, I went through some of the erp last year um okay. trying to get a you know i've lived with it for so long i thought let's try erp i've tried cognitive behavior therapy before didn't really work medications but i really found some value from erp and i think it was two things. One, it was new. It was specialized and targeting what my obsessions and compulsions were. Mm-hmm. But it was also, I think, mindset for me as well. So I've done lots of psychology in the past. Um, but now that I'm 38 and I'm a, I'm a father, I think mindset for me was a big one because perhaps in the past I wasn't so committed to the cause. Mm-hmm. Um, but I think now um, for me, that was a big pusher as well. But um, Thinking about boys and men and, and, and OCD, I, I've often heard it re- referred to as a silent condition or, or a secretive condition because it is quite distressing. Um, mm-hmm. you know, for me, it took me the better part of 20 years to come forward. I didn't really know what was going on, not just with OCD, but the anxiety and depression. But what's some of the things that, or trends that you're seeing in perhaps the boys and men or more generally um, in, in the people that you're supporting and, and providing therapy to, are they waiting a long time to get therapy or what, what's your experience of that? Yeah. So this, um, some of these numbers may have changed a little bit in the last couple of years, but I know when I first came on with no CD, we were looking at all the research and data we could find as far as, uh, you know, people like yourself living with this condition and on average, how long it took them to understand or receive a diagnosis of OCD and then actually get treatment for it. And what we found in researching multiple studies that have been done worldwide was that from the onset of OCD symptoms, someone's experiences, on average, they do not actually end up receiving that correct diagnosis and getting help for it until 14 years after the onset of their symptoms. And to us, that really spoke to the lack of awareness, the lack of understanding and the lack of education and information that was just out there on OCD in general. So uh, yes, certainly people suffer needlessly in silence for years and years and years. And it can be for a number of reasons, like you described with yourself, not really understanding what it was. Sometimes people don't even know if it's something they should get help for, quite yeah. frankly. Um, but more often than not, what c- keeps people kind of stuck and remaining silent is because of the shame and guilt and embarrassment they're experiencing because of their symptoms. So I do think you know it's so important for people out there to start to understand OCD can take many, many different forms. Obsessions and compulsions can manifest themselves in almost countless ways for a person. And yes, there continues to be this unfortunate stereotype that OCD is just all about hand washing and germs and people just like to stay clean. And that's really all there is to it. Mm-hmm. Um, and certainly contamination OCD, which is one theme, one 
subtype of OCD uh, continues to be very common. But people really don't understand the extreme levels of distress that someone with contamination OCD is experiencing when they develop these obsessions, these intrusive fears, thoughts, or doubts that somehow they have become contaminated. And then usually people develop this secondary fear that they could then spread disease or illness that would cause harm to others. Yeah. So even contamination OCD itself goes far deeper than most people realize. Have you seen a, um, a spike or a, an influence from COVID for contamination OCD? A hundred percent, no doubt. Yeah. Um, and just using no CD as one reference from February of 2020, to the end of March, April 2020, so in about two months' time, the number of people uh, we were serving quadrupled. Wow. It jumped, it jumped from a few dozen to literally hundreds and hundreds of people. And now we're treating, I think, um, over 7,000 different people uh, each month wow. uh, through no CD. Wow. So yes, uh, certainly COVID threw the entire world into a state of flux, uh, really unprecedented times we've been living through. But more so than anything, it touched on, you know, a really kind of deep common theme we see in most people with OCD, which is just extreme difficulty tolerating any amount of uncertainty. And it can be related to anything. And then when you have the entire world thrown into this state of uncertainty, where new, nobody really knew what we were dealing with or how to manage it, yes, it spiked OCD fears for people who even already knew they were living with it. Mm -hmm. um, and unfortunately, a lot of people reported an onset of OCD symptoms with the onset of the pandemic as well. Wow. And you mentioned there's uh, contamination is just one theme. Yes. Um, what's some of the other themes that you've experienced as a therapist um, that might be holding people back from getting support in the first place? Because they, they can be quite scary and, and traumatizing. Um, oh, harm, harm OCD, for example. Yeah, har harm OCD is an excellent example, and I'll talk a little bit more about that. Um, people never like discussing this one or even hearing the term itself. It's considered taboo, but there's a whole subtype of OCD that has been labeled pedophilia OCD. Mm -hmm. um, we're seeing a, a huge spike in people reporting obsessive fears and doubts related to their relationship that has become known as relationship OCD. Uh, and we also see people reporting symptoms that would fall under kind of types known as health OCD. It looks a lot like, like health anxiety, um, just right OCD, which kind of falls in line with perfectionism. Um, the list goes on and on. It could be what we know as scrupulosity, where the people are experiencing, uh, again, repetitive, uh, intense, unwanted images, thoughts, and doubts related to their own religious beliefs or principles. Yeah. So um, that, and that's just like a short list. <laughs> We're learning more and more that really obsessions can take on almost any form for a person. But I think what's really important for people to understand is that it is the nature of obsessions themselves that are causing so much distress, fear, and guilt and shame for the individual. So harm OCD is a great example. Yeah. People get freaked out when they first start to hear about it, but essentially the person is experiencing repetitive images or repetitive thoughts related to them somehow losing control and causing direct harm or even death 
to someone they really love and care about. And what's important to understand is that these people have no desire to act on those thoughts. In fact, it's the furthest thing from what they would want. And because within themselves, they know they would never do those things. They would never want that. It kind of creates this disconnect. Yeah. I know I don't want that. That idea is horrendous to me. It's terrifying. So then why? Why do these types of thoughts and images keep coming up for me over and over again? And that's the nature of OCD. Yeah. So what happens for people over time is they fall into the trap of engaging in compulsions. And a compulsion could be any attempt to get rid of an unwanted thought. We often hear people saying they're just trying to push these disturbing images out of their head um, so they could engage in a series of physical compulsions, outward rituals. They could also be engaging in what we know to be mental compulsions, mental rituals. And it all serves the same purpose. It's an attempt to get away from the unwanted obsessions and try and get some relief from that anxiety that goes along with it. Yeah. Can you give some examples of, of harm OCD that you've, you, you've come across in your time? Or, and also, I'm interested in pure OCD as well. It's something mm -hmm. I've started to see a bit more about. Um, and yeah, just your thoughts on those two. Yeah. Yeah, I'd be glad to talk about those. And with harm OCD, uh, uh, I'll mention some examples with pedophilia o OCD as well, because uh, it's not uncommon that there's kind of a, a crossover among those mm -hmm. things. And quite frankly, we see people experiencing obsessions that could fall under numerous different types or themes of OCD at the same time. Yeah. So with harm OCD or pedophilia OCD, better known as POCD, uh, someone could be getting the recurrent thought that, um, you know, I'll use myself as an example. I could be in the kitchen with my kids. There's a knife out because we're preparing dinner. I could just get the thought unwanted out of nowhere. I could take that knife and stab my child right now. Mm, mm. Um, with pedophilia OCD, it could be, uh, you know, you get a flash, an image of yourself doing something inappropriate with a child. Yeah. And again, that, that idea is what we call ego dystonic. It does not match up with the person's true beliefs and values. And so that causes kind of that unrest and discomfort, right? So what we could see, um, just using the harm OCD example, someone gets that unwanted thought or image about stabbing someone they love. So they start to do things like avoiding, avoiding knives, stop mm -hmm. using knives. Kind of the saddest cases we've seen, and I've seen this with fathers and their sons, is when they start to get these unwanted obsessions related to their own children, they literally start to withdraw wow. and avoid from their kids. And then imagine all the compounding emotions that go along with that. It's not just anxiety. It's not just shame. It's intense guilt, mm. right? I can't be the kind of father I would like to be for my son. What does it say about me as a dad that I keep getting these images? I must be a horrible person. I have no business being a parent in the first place. Yeah. So these are all the types of ways people are interpreting their obsessions, oftentimes not understanding this is just an unfortunate function of the disorder itself. It's what the brain is doing yeah. with OCD. Wow. It, 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 I can imagine it would be quite distressing for somebody to even open up about some of these types, you know, the pedophilia one, for example. Yes. 
having the police knock on the door the next minute that they've they've said something but so potentially a lot of people keep it inside and they don't talk about it because of the shame but also fear about what happens when i do open up um yes. you know and I, and I imagine that you've heard a lot of different stories before and and maybe seeing the weight lifted off someone's shoulders when they do finally open up and talk to you about their OCD that they haven't spoken about for a long time. Um, that must be a good feeling for you to, to help them through that process. Oh, certainly. And, and that is why I have so much admiration for people like yourself or anybody living with OCD who has just found the courage within themselves to open up about it, whether it's sharing it with a therapist or a counselor or psychologist whether it's even posting something in an mm. online community for people with OCD, because this is so important to continue to destigmatize yeah. OCD itself. So the more people are able to push themselves and just share that experience and then have these moments where they can hear from their therapist. Oh yeah. That's really common. Yeah. Or see other people online saying, oh yeah, I have those thoughts too. Oh yeah, I do those compulsions too. We're really trying to kind of normalize that this is something that happens with OCD. And I would say, honestly, probably second only to contamination OCD, harm OCD mm. is the most common form of OCD yeah. we hear about. Yeah. So what about pure OCD? Give us a bit of an idea about what that is. What, it seems like it's a, a purest form of OCD, the way it's said. When I first saw it, I thought to myself, do people with pure OCD have a better form of OCD than somebody else? <laughs> um, or is this more, more important than my OCD? Um, what is pure OCD and, and what's your thoughts on it? Yeah, yeah, great question. And uh, another topic I, I'm, I'm happy to, to discuss because I, I think it's also misunderstood. So pure OCD got its name because uh, we would hear people time and time and time again saying, well, I, I don't experience any compulsions. I don't do anything in response to my thoughts. Uh, I just have a lot of obsessions. So it kind of got the name purely obsessional OCD, mm -hmm. which then became pure OCD. But here's the thing. We will hear people say things like, well, I'm just obsessing all the time. And again, I don't have any rituals. And it may very well be the case that they don't ever engage in any sort of outward observable compulsion or ritual of any kind. But what we hear time and time again, the more people are describing their thought processes to us is that they're actually doing a lot of mental rituals. Mm, mm. So even though it's called pure O, I guarantee you the person is engaging in some sort of mentally compulsive yeah. process, trying to serve the same purpose as any outward compulsion. They're trying to get rid of a thought. They're trying to solve some sort of hypothetical imagined problem or scenario. They're trying to figure out how they would manage something five, 10, 20, 40 years down the line. Yeah. And what we hear more often than not with Puro is again, there's that initial unwanted obsession and it could be along the lines of, you know, you know, I could kill my wife tonight, mm -hmm. right? I could punch my kid in the face, right? These are very common obsessions we hear. And that thought comes into the person's mind and then they're trying to figure it out, right? So kind of like mm -hmm. I was saying a few minutes ago, why did I have that thought? What does this mean about me? What do I need to do about this? And it quickly turns into rumination and people can just get stuck 
ruminating. We often call it mental review. They're mm -hmm. mentally reviewing an obsession, mentally reviewing past events from their life, trying to prove to themselves that they're not a horrible person for having these thoughts. Yeah. When they were never a horrible person in the first place. <laughs> that's right. And I noticed that the DSM-5, so that's where we get the diagnostic component for mental disorders. Um, mm -hmm. It talks around time and the time it takes for someone who is experiencing obsessions and compulsions. Uh, I think it was mm -hmm. an hour the last time I looked. Um, but it's, the, the time it takes is not necessarily a, a two minutes in the day or five minutes. It's that this is something that happens repetitively through the day and can be hours on end. When, my, when I first really took note of my OCD, my teenager, when it was really bad, you know, uh, locking up the house at night for me was a three-hour ordeal. Mm -hmm. um, so it's quite a distressing thing and, and it's exhausting and, and, and time-consuming. So what's some of those trends in time that you're noticing? How long are people doing, doing their different obsessions? Is it different between the different themes that you've noticed or is it kind of similar? Uh, it's, it's really on an individual case-by-case -case yeah. basis. So one thing you know I often talk about is that we've identified uh, very common obsessions, very common compulsions. We've identified all these themes, but at the end of the day, everybody's just a little bit different. Yeah. And one of the things I really appreciate about ERP is that it is a very individualized form of treatment. We're helping people identify their specific symptoms that have become incredibly time consuming, that are causing ongoing distress, usually some impairment in functioning, whether it's at work, at home, at school, in their social life, whatever it may be. Yeah. Um, so the amount of time could be all over the place, uh, but you're right with the DSM-5, the minimum is considered, you know, it's taking at least an hour out of the person's day. We're seeing, quite frankly, uh, people coming in OCD with more and more severe symptom presentations, mm -hmm. telling us it's taking six hours out of the day, 10 hours a day. I personally have worked with people that once they really learn about mental rituals and mental compulsions, they can honestly tell me, I think I'm doing that yeah. the entire time I'm awake. All mm -hmm. of my waking hours, I'm going through some mentally compulsive process in this desperate attempt to try and get some relief and somehow keep those unwanted thoughts from ever returning. Yeah. Before we go on to ERP, the two questions mm -hmm. I wanted to ask you is one yes. was around um, what's the difference that you see in between OCD and an obsession and an intrusive thought? Because sometimes they can get mixed or blurred. Um, and I was speaking to a GP recently, um, you know, through my own review and, and I had, I said, I had these thoughts and he said, well, they're, they're more of an, uh, an intrusive thought and everybody gets those. Mm -hmm. um, but what's your experience with intrusive thoughts as opposed to OCD or, or are they one and the same? Um, they're one and the same. I think what uh, differentiates between what we would almost call a normal intrusive thought that someone without OCD would have and the obsessions that people with OCD experience is that the way the brain with OCD functions is a little bit different than the way it functions for someone without OCD. Mm -hmm. So I'm pretty honest about the fact that I don't have OCD, but I have certainly experienced plenty of strange, sometimes disturbing, upsetting images and unwanted thoughts over the course of my life. Those are intrusive thoughts. I've had them about my three boys at different mm -hmm. times, right? I've been 
you know, when they were younger in the bathtub, right? Washing them and gotten an image of me touching them inappropriately. Without OCD, I am better able, because my brain is just a little bit different, I am better able to kind of go, that was strange. What else is going on? Mm. It may cause a momentary reaction where I'm a, I'm a little uncomfortable. I, I certainly don't like it. But other than that, I don't pay any attention to it. What happens with OCD, and it's important for people to understand, OCD is a neuropsychiatric disorder. This is technically a brain disorder. For the person with OCD, that same intrusive thought can occur. But we've learned that obsessions, intrusive thoughts, also occur in the same area of the brain that houses our natural anxiety response, our fight, flight, or freeze response. For the person with OCD, they could have the same intrusive thought that someone without OCD does, and their brain interprets it as a real threat. Mm. That's what kicks off that fight, flight, or freeze response, heightens that anxiety, and then they're more prone to pay more attention to it. Yeah. This feels risky. This feels threatening or dangerous somehow. And therefore, I have to do something about it. Yeah. And the doing something about it is a compulsion. Mm -hmm. Definitely. A really good uh, explanation there. Uh, I really like how in the last few minutes you've talked about the, the uniqueness or the individuality of mm -hmm. obsessive compulsive disorder between different people. And, and, and one of the things I'm trying to do in Through Mindful Men is highlight that very fact is that, that my OCD is, no, is different to your OCD or depression or anxiety or when I experience burnout, for example, but it's no less or more significant. Um, and some people have these really extreme versions, like you're talking about 10 hours of compulsions and obsessions, whereas someone might have one hour of obsessions and compulsions, but that doesn't negate that person with the one hour actually getting support. Um, right. that just because, oh, oh, that person's worse off than I am. Um, you know, they need support. I'm just going to try and deal with it on my own. I think that's a really good thing that you're observing there and, and you're highlighting. And that's something that Mindful Men is all about is highlighting that everyone's experience is unique. Mm -hmm. Everyone's recovery journey is unique to themselves. And, um, you know, my recovery might be shorter or longer or straightforward or completely all over the place. And I think that's yes. really good that you've, you've highlighted that. Um, but I want to target now ERP and, mm -hmm. and, and what this actually is, is, is referred to as the gold standard for treatment for OCD. Um, yes. So tell us a bit about what it is and, and how it can help people with OCD. Yeah, I, I always enjoy explaining ERP as well, because I think on the surface, without a thorough explanation, it can sound just like a really scary, intimidating form of treatment. Mm -hmm. So it is important to understand how ERP actually works to start to make changes in the person's brain. Yeah. Um, so ERP uh, is exposure and response prevention. And it's important to understand both pieces of that because on the surface, uh, when people think of exposure therapy, they're probably thinking, oh, I'm gonna be exposed to scary triggering situations, right? And that is part of the process. But what often gets overlooked is the response prevention piece. And I'll talk about how that actually starts to help the person engage in a new form of learning uh, in their own mind. Mm -hmm. So with exposure and response prevention, the idea is to do something that is, usually sounds counterintuitive to the person living with OCD and anxiety. Time and time again, when people are faced with a fear, 
kind of the natural inclination is to avoid it, run away from it, distract themselves from it so they don't really have to think about it, or maybe do something like seek reassurance from others that they're okay and everything's going to be okay and nothing terrible is happening. These are all what we call safety behaviors. The problem that occurs uh, in the brain over time is that the more people are trying to avoid something through any sort of safety behavior or compulsive process, the more they're trying to push that stuff out of their head, push feelings out of their body, they're inadvertently building those things up in their mind to be bigger and bigger and scarier threats. So even though people don't like this idea, with exposure therapy, we do the opposite of what the OCD wants the person to do. We're not going to try and get rid of those fears. We're actually going to face them head on. So we go through a systematic process where we help someone develop what is known as a hierarchy. It, it is a list of everything that triggers any amount of discomfort, anxiety, or distress for them. It can be external situations. It can be internal experiences. So that would include thoughts, images, urges, um, uncomfortable physical sensations, obsessions themselves. And then what we really want to do is get a clear idea of when someone is experiencing an obsession and experiencing a certain level of distress in response to that obsession, what do they do? What are they trying to do to get rid of that and run away from it? And that's where we learn about their compulsions. So with the ERP, we are exposing people to their fears, but we're really, really focused on the response prevention. The rationale being the more someone can uh, purposely face or invoke an unwanted thought or image and really remain focused on it without engaging in a compulsion for that immediate relief they would prefer to have, mm -hmm. what they tend to see over time is that their anxiety, even though it will rise, at some point inevitably hits a peak and starts to come down on its own without the person doing anything about it. So there's some really powerful uh, ongoing learning that can occur with response prevention. The more people are resisting their compulsions, they are learning compulsions are not necessary. They are learning that their anxiety and discomfort will fade on its own. And they also learn more often than not that their feared outcomes simply do not come true. That's another trap people fall in with, with OCD. I have to do this compulsion to prevent something bad from happening in the future, right? Yeah. So the more they can resist compulsions and see that all these terrible, horrible fears do not in fact come true in their day-to-day -day life, they have that additional learning. Oh, I really don't have to do that stuff. Yeah. I like that peak, that peak moment because I mm -hmm. did some ERP last year. And one of the many that I of, of the obsessions and compulsions I have is one of them is to do with my car and having mm -hmm. the handbrake on so that it doesn't roll down a hill, kill 10 people, whatever, crap, make it crash or, or whatever. And so we did ERP in the car park of my therapist of, of the practice. And mm -hmm. he purposely made me put it, put the handbrake off and 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 walk away with him without looking back at the car because one of the compulsions would me to be to to look at the car but then run back and check everything check sure. the brakes yeah. on and, and all that type of stuff um but i noticed as well it was very hard to do that for me um 
but yeah, the anxiety started to go up. But over time, we did we did it in short periods. So we did it mm-hmm. for ten seconds, and twenty seconds, and thirty seconds, and and yeah, we did hit that peak. And I didn't have to turn around eventually, and 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 so forth. So it was a very useful way to 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 sit with it, um, mm-hmm. feel comfortable sitting in that uncomfortable moment, um, and know that I didn't have to do it because nothing bad was going to happen the, the car what didn't roll away and kill anybody um mm-hmm. might have been different if it was on a hill <laughs> <laughs> maybe but, that maybe that's your next uh, erp exercise <laughs> i'm going to start with the, the basic version first it's on a flat road, but yeah mm-hmm. but it was very useful for me and um but it wasn't just that like we used um virtual reality headset as well to um to try and trigger it didn't quite work for me because i knew my mind knew that these weren't real people Mm -hmm. um but i see that some technology starting to come into into erp as well and um how how do you use technology or or what some of the things that you do in your practice um that you can provide some examples for people yeah so um i actually do use uh virtual reality uh we call it virtual reality therapy yeah. Uh, in my private practice here in Chicago. Uh, and we actually found, uh, uh, to me, what is a really cool program that was actually designed to help people do ERP, uh, really more for specific phobias. So with the, the VR we use, people can be on the headset. And for example, they have a fear of heights. I have a fear of heights. Mm. I've actually used it for myself. Yeah. So um, you are, even though it's virtual, it can really provoke a pretty intense uh, anxious reaction for people. And there are scenes that look like, you know, you're on a glass elevator going up the outside of the building and you're gradually getting higher and higher. And then at some point you're standing on top of the building. Yeah. And the ERP is, uh, it's the same, whether it's for OCD, a specific phobia, any kind of anxiety disorder, panic attacks, ERP is really effective for all different forms of anxiety. So, and again, using myself as an example, I would sit on the VR headset at the highest possible point on that building and purposely look down and I would rate my own anxiety. So we use a scale from zero to 10, zero being little to no anxiety, 10 being those terrible moments where you really just feel like you want to crawl out of your own skin. Right. And I would sit there and I'll kind of gauge, okay, I'm at about a six. I would really, really like to take this headset off right now. I, I'm noticing my mm. heart is racing. Yeah. I'm feeling kind of sweaty, shaky. But I also know my job in doing ERP is to write it out, not try and run away from it. And the more I did it, the more it actually worked. And yeah. now I can go to the tallest buildings here in downtown Chicago, which are really, really tall. <laughs> and I don't love it. I still get nervous and anxious, but I can do it. Whereas in the past, I would have stayed away from that altogether. Yeah. So, um, so I think with uh, VR, there's no shortage of options, and it wouldn't just have to be for a specific phobia or specific scene like that. Could certainly be used to help address all different types of obsessive fears with OCD as well. Yeah, yeah. I think my my challenge we're doing it for social anxiety and 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 a fear that I have with seeing people on the train or the bus. But because I played so much video games in my time, <laughs> I kind of knew that this wasn't the real thing for me. But it, yeah, certainly, um, I from what I've read, it's quite useful, and it's so cool to see technology coming in into this type of thing as well. 
um, yeah. as opposed to just writing down your thoughts and feelings on a, on a piece of paper. <laughs> Certainly. <laughs> that. Yeah. Um, now thinking about, you know, your time as a therapist, your time as a dad and, and what's a piece of advice that you'd give someone who, who is thinking about ERP or thinking about contacting NoCD um, but hasn't done that, what's some advice that you'd give them to try and encourage them to make that phone call? Oh, I'm so glad you asked that. So um, I would recommend a couple of different things. So NoCD itself has created a completely anonymous online community for people all over the world with OCD. Yeah. So first step, I would just go on the NoCD app and go to their community feature. It gives someone the opportunity to read through other people's experiences. And at this point, we have heard from so many people from all different walks of life, all different uh, societies and cultures all over the world, this was the first time ever I read someone describing the same stuff I've been experiencing, right? It may not be the exact same obsessions and compulsive processes, but it's so similar. So people, I think, I think that's just so powerful to know this is something that uh, our best guesstimate affects over 180 million people wow. worldwide. So we need people to understand you are not alone, right? Mm. It, it can feel really isolating, right? As you have been so open about, uh, people are quick to judge themselves and criticize themselves and get down on themselves just for having these types of uh, thoughts and compulsions. So it's really important for people to understand they're not alone. So I'd go on the, the NoCD community on the app itself. Um, I'd also take advantage of some of the completely free online support groups that NoCD offers. To get any information on the groups we offer, you can just go to NoCD's website. It's treatmyocd.com. Mm -hmm. And you'll see on there um, tons of information on the numerous groups we provide on a daily basis. Um, you will see... <laughs> Dozens and dozens of blog entries written by um, many of the clinicians on our staff, many of the people who work at uh, NoCD who have OCD themselves. Um, so I'd really recommend checking out those resources to understand, first and foremost, you're not alone. And you will also hear people describe their experiences going through ERP. And my favorite part are the success stories, right? Yeah. You're, a great, you're a great example of it right? This was scary. I wasn't really sure what was going on, but at some point I made myself, I just made the decision to push myself into ERP and look at me now. Yeah. That, that, that by far and away is the most fulfilling and rewarding thing I get to do is to see that this form of treatment is effective. It really works and people get their lives back. And it's just, it's really cool to see. So I really want people out there to know like that there's hope like there is always hope we have effective treatment for erp we just need more people to understand what ocd is what they or a family member might be struggling with and just take that step to reach out and get the help wonderful great great response um i've really enjoyed our chat today i could, I could talk about this all day and I, i'm mindful <laughs> that there is a bit of a time difference between us and you're probably ready to head home if you're not already <laughs> mm -hmm. um but maybe I'd love to hear, you know, are you on socials? Like this is your, your chance to plug, plug yourself or your business. We've talked a bit about no CD, but you have a business as well or 
if you don't want to do that, plug what you're reading or what you're watching on telly. Um, yeah, what, <laughs> a bit of insight into what you're enjoying at the moment, maybe. Oh, yeah, I, I appreciate you uh, allowing me to make some plugs. So, so you've mentioned the, the No CD Instagram uh, page. Yeah. I would definitely recommend people check that out. Um, uh, no CD is, you know, like I mentioned, it's got its own site, treatmyocd.com. Uh, you can download the no CD app completely for free. I would certainly recommend that to anybody out there who, who's interested in, in learning more for myself, for my private practice, which no CD has graciously allowed me to keep on the side while I'm putting in 50, 60 hours a week for no CD. Um, again, at Chicago counseling center. Uh, we're also on Instagram, uh, shy counseling is our handle and we're on Twitter and, uh, our handle there is at Chicago CD. So it's Chicago CD. Um, the last thing, and I'm always reluctant to plug this and people always give me a hard time about <laughs> it who know me. Uh, I do have a book. It's called the perfectionism workbook. Wow. Um, and I wrote it because over the years, uh, in the clinical work I was doing, I was seeing perfectionistic tendencies really arise as a serious clinical issue for people. Uh, certainly goes hand in hand with OCD. Uh, it contributes to really unhealthy and dangerous behaviors that go along with eating disorders, uh, can contribute just to general stress, anxiety, depression, and even things like substance abuse and yeah. addiction. And then having my own son, I saw growing up with these really kind of rigid perfectionistic beliefs and tendencies. Uh, it just really hit home for me more than ever uh, and was fortunate enough to have the opportunity to write the perfectionism workbook. And where, where can people get that book if they can get a copy? Yeah, Amazon's the easiest place. Um, it's literally just called the perfectionism workbook. Yep. Uh, I have a pretty unique name. I am literally the only <laughs> Taylor Neuendorp in the entire world. Yep. So you're not going to find another book <laughs> by another Taylor Neuendorp. So really easy to find on Amazon. Awesome. And I'll, I'll grab the links off you for all those for your business and, and, and all mm -hmm. that. And we'll put it in the show notes as well. But um, Wonderful. thanks so much for your time this morning. I do really appreciate um, you coming on and talking about your experience of um, being a dad and, and, your, and your boys, but also your work in the OCD space. It's really valuable. And, Hopefully it inspires some other boys, men or, 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 or women, girls as well to, to come forward and, and get some support for their OCD. So thank you so much for your time today. Oh, thank you. This has been uh, really, really enjoyable. Thank you so much for having me. Thank you so much. Well, that's a wrap for today's episode and I hope you got some value from it. If anything triggered your mental health today, please reach out to your support networks. Also, if you loved what you heard, be sure to subscribe to the show and share it with your mates. For more from Mindful Men, you can check us out on Instagram and YouTube, and I'll throw the links to these pages in the show notes below. But until next time, stay mindful.